All right. Well, you know, every so often at the Dummett household, uh, after dinner, uh, the fire, fire will be in the fireplace, and we will have a live piano concert in our home. Uh, my wife went to school at Wheaton College, went to the conservatory, and studied piano. And so uh, she can play everything from Chopin to show tunes, all right? She can play everything from Disney songs to worship songs, and that is because she learned principles about music and about the piano, and then she practiced, like hours and hours and hours she would practice. And so what's really cool is watching her sit down at the piano and just, she can play anything. Like, there is a freedom when she sits down at the piano that is just astounding to me. Like, if it's complicated, she does. If it's lyrical, she plays it. I mean, she just has a freedom at the piano. Now, I took some piano lessons in my day, uh, one or two, and I mean literally one or two. And uh, I sit down at the piano, and here's what's the same. What's the same is I have the same... 10 fingers. What's the same is I have the same 88 keys. I am absolutely as free as she is with my 10 fingers and the same 88 keys. I can touch any of those keys at any moment. And yet, when I do my concert for the family, we hear twinkle, twinkle, little star or hot cross buns because I, in a sense, do not have the same freedom that she does. There is a difference in the kind of freedom that comes after taking principles that are true and practicing them over a long period of time. Am I right? And that is true in the course of music. That is true uh, with golf. That is true in so many different areas of life. And it's true with our money as well. And so we have been in a series called More Than Money, and we have over the course of the last couple of weeks really looked at our heart towards money. Uh, The heart of the matter when it comes to this series is that it's a matter of the heart. Like Jesus said, where your money goes, your heart goes. They are inextricably linked together, your heart and your money. And so for the first two weeks, we talked about what is your heart posture toward money. Remember I talked about waffle fries a couple weeks ago and that God owns it all and we should be holding it open-handedly. And then Megan came last week and talked about we need to only have one master. It can't be, you know, God is going to be our master. And she talked about our heart towards money. And this week what we want to do is begin to move to more practical, uh, more practical principles when it comes to money. So there's a danger in that. Because now, instead of just talking about your heart towards money, we're going to begin to hear God begin to say, hey, here's what I want you to do with your money. And there's going to be a sense where we've maybe been holding our money like this, and now we're going to go, hold on there, pal. Right? So I just want you to remember what we are going to talk to you about today, what hopefully God is going to talk to you about today, is not because we want to limit, not because God wants to limit your freedom. In fact, I would say it's the exact opposite. I believe that God wants to give you practical principles surrounding your money so that as you put them to practice, put them into practice over time, you will actually get more financial freedom. Does that make sense? 
So you know where we're coming from on this. And I say we because I asked my man, Miguel. Come on up, Miguel. Everybody give Miguel a big hand. Miguel is here. Oh, fist bump. Yeah, that's a COVID bump right there. Um, Miguel is here, and I asked Miguel to help me out with this because if there's anybody that's in this day in and day out practical stuff, he has a real heart for where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our finances. And some of that's because of your family, right? That's right. I got five kids, so the struggle is real. <laughs> it is real. Go ahead. I mean, the, yeah. So the, when, when, when uh, you know, Dave reached out and said, hey, you want to do this together? I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure you want me? Because I have five kids. That's five like emergency plans. It's, it's like, I'm trying to figure out how do I pay for shoes next semester? Because they're going to grow out of the shoes they have now in two months. So I, it's just like the struggle is so real. So some of you might be here and you're like, man, you're doing great managing your finances. And this is going to be one big reminder, okay, for you. And I love that and an encouragement to you. Some of you, you might be in the middle of a financial crisis that you didn't necessarily choose. And life is just hard. Uh, you might be uh, in a situation where you're in debt and you're perfectly fine living in your debt. Uh, or you might be in a financial situation where you know you are in bondage, whether it's debt or something else, in your finances, and you're just hoping that it's just going to get better. Uh, but when it comes to finances, um, let me just say that it's not about hoping things getting better. It's about the decisions you and I are making every single day that determine our direction and ultimately our destination. But here's the Here's the thing when it comes to money. We often make money an emotional experience. Like you look at a spreadsheet and you get stressed. You know, you see dollars and numbers and you get stressed, right? And it's just an emotional thing. You're, and, and here's the reality. When emotion is high, judgment is low. And so we charge it, <laughs> right? And we get lost in all of these things. But, but when it comes to money, just, just hear me out. Money's not a mystery. It's just math. All right? Money's not a mystery. It's just math. And, and a lot of what you're going to hear today, let me just say, just, just to admit to you, a lot of what I've learned from money and, and about money came through trial, not through triumph. Okay? So I'm coming from that perspective as well. And the Bible has a lot to say about how to manage your money. The Bible is littered throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, about how to manage your money. And so many of the verses you're going to hear today are from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was written by the richest man who ever lived, a guy by the name of Solomon. Um, If you put his fortune in modern dollars today, he would be a trillionaire. That is a one with 12 zeros, okay? It's a big number. Um, and, and Proverbs are wisdom statements and habits and how to live your life. Wisdom is all about doing, okay? It's not about what you know, it's about what you show. Wisdom is not about your IQ, it's what you choose to do. It's about applying and living out the things that you know to do. And so today, um, as we discuss the things that the Bible has to say about managing your money, if you choose to do it, it will be powerful in your life. So let's begin by just talking about a word that many of you have heard before. It's a dreadful word called budget. <laughs> budget. Yes, budget. Um, some of you are like, oh, don't say that. Uh, you cringe when you hear the word budget, right? And, and many of us, we, we don't like that disgusting word, right? We don't like it because we think a budget restricts us from enjoying our life. 
But that's the wrong view of budget. Here's the way I say it. A budget is you telling your money where to go rather than sitting around wondering where it went. That's what a budget is, okay? It's you telling your money rather than sitting around wondering where it went. So here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 23 through 24. Here's what it says. Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. So when you read the verse, be sure to know the conditions of your flocks. Understand it's a farming community, so just change flocks to stocks. Got it? Okay. So so when it comes to budgeting, before you get into the budgeting process, okay, before you get really into it, what you need to know is you need to know what you earn, what you owe, and what you own. What you earn, what you owe, and what you own. And you're like, Miguel, this is so elementary. What are you talking about? I get it, and it seems very simple, but so many of us, what we do is we like to round up or down and get a general idea of our budgeting plan right? So we'll budget and we'll go like, okay, here's my expenses. And now what do I have left over to spend on myself, right? Like you kind of have like a general idea of how to do it. But before you get into this, you got to know the condition of your finances, or you're going to wonder where all your money just went. I remember uh, a long time ago, I I was getting paid every other week, every other Friday. And so I would budget two paychecks per month, right? It makes sense. And and so I'm doing that. And then sometime down the road, I don't know when it happened, um, I started to think about, if I get paid every other Friday, there's going to be two months out of the year where I get a third paycheck that month. And I'm like, I just found another paycheck. The Lord is good. Rain down on me now, the glory, Lord. It's like, that, I was so excited to find, and you're like, Mikhail, come on, that's simple. And you're right. It's not a mystery. It's just math. And it was good. And you're like, I'm not good at math. Ask your sixth grader, (laughs) you know? You're like, the sixth grade math today is so difficult. I know, it's just math though, it's simple. And I found a third paycheck and I'm like, oh, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard financial advisors today simply meet with someone and show them the condition of their finances and they realize how much money they had or could save by simply looking at the condition of all their finances. So let me just get real practical for you uh, or with you today. Um, my family and I, my wife and I, we uh, uh, use an app. And there's so many different kinds of apps out there, okay? So many different programs on how to budget and manage your money. Um, in fact, you can go to willowcreek.org slash more than money for resources and information about how to manage your money and some budgeting apps and things like that that are found on that page. But for my, my wife and I, we use something called Every Dollar. It's an app that we use, and it was suggested to us by our financial guy, uh, guy, you know, the person that we trust uh, for financial advice. And so we use that app, and every month we budget out the month, every single line item. And and then uh, throughout the week, we track our expenses, and we put it in the app, and then it shows us, you know, kind of how it works, and it tracks our expenses for us and and our money. And here's the thing. Do I miss receipts sometimes? Yes. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I missed it. Or man, that month wasn't great. We got to, and we just get right back on the path, right? And we just continue working the plan and managing our money the best, the best we can. So when it comes to just biblical budgeting, 
okay? When it comes to just what the Bible says about how to manage your money, the biblical way is simply this. Give first, save second, live on the rest. This overarching idea, give first, save second, live on the rest. Giving first honors God. Saving second plans for the future, even if it's just next semester, okay? And living on the rest teaches contentment. This is a biblical perspective on how to do this. So let me talk about giving first, and then Dave's going to talk about saving second. Um, Have you ever heard of the verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight? Raise your hand if you've heard of that verse. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, Uh, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Very popular verse. You might know someone who has it like tattooed on their arm or or maybe you you know uh, someone who has it stitched on a pillow right at home or it's framed on a wall. It's a beautiful verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You want to know the context that that verse is in, it's in the context of money. And you're like, oh, Miguel, you just ruined that verse for me. All right, sorry, not sorry. Okay, here's what the verse says just a few verses later in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Here's what it says. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new, with new wine. Again, it's a farming community, just change crops to stocks, all right? You get it. So what this verse is saying is simply this, when it comes to income, okay, when you get income, acknowledge first where it came from. When you get income, acknowledge first where it came from. Anything you want God to bless, you're going to put him first in. Your marriage, your relationships, your work, anything at all, if you want God's blessing, you're going to make him the priority in it. So giving first honors God, but it does something else. It also regulates our hearts. It regulates our hearts, which is what the point is anyways, right? It's what this whole thing is about anyways. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So let me, let me say this out loud so everyone just, just clarify. Money is not evil. Money is not evil. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, and in this world, the world loves money and uses people. That's backwards. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, love people and use money. But herein lies the challenge. You and I have to engage with money on a regular basis. We have to spend time with money every single day. We have to date money on a regular occasion every single day. So how do we engage and be in a relationship with money but not fall in love with it? Because money is very alluring. How do we do that? How do we make sure that we don't fall in love with it where we have to engage with it every single day? The Bible says, give. Give. That's why the Bible says this. So how you say, you go, you go, money, I'm not in love with you and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to give first. 
I'm going to tell money and myself, I'm not in love with you. I'm going to give first. This is why we say it's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. That's why we say this all the time. So just a a practical step, Uh, my wife and I, what we do in our family is um, the very first thing we budget for, the top of the line there, is our tithe to Willow. We give to our local church. We give to Willow. And every time I get paid, we, we do this so much so, to give first ideas so much so, that every time I get paid, the very first thing I pay before any other bills is my tithe, a gross, 10% of my gross income. 10% goes to Willow. We do this through uh, 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 an app called MyWell. It's the program that we use here at Willow. The MyWell app, we downloaded that. We have that. And every time I get paid, I, I give. I give to Willow. Listen, God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And to experience life to the fullest. Giving first honors God and it positions our heart to live the life God wants for you and for me. And then we can begin to think about saving and the margin that we might have in our life. Awesome. Thanks, Miguel. He said give first honors God. He said save second helps you plan for the future. Uh, I think that's true. Saving helps you plan for the future, and in particular, recognizing the power of a thing called compounding interest. If you have not run some numbers on compounding interest, you should. I have heard this from the very beginning. My father gave me some very wise advice when I was a young man. He said, listen, son, you need to understand this. Those that understand the power of compounding interest earn it. And those who don't understand the power of compounding interest spend it or, or pay it, right? And so the course of this, this little bit of margin that we have that we work for in our month, our, our, our goal is to get from one side of the compounding interest uh, equation, which would be debt, to the other side of compounding interest, which would be savings. If you need help getting out of debt, I just want to put my two cents in for uh, a commercial for one of these classes, the Money and Me class or a financial piece or something like that, to help you move out of the debt side of compounding interest into the saving side of compounding interest. It helps you plan for your future. Now, what I want to do for just a few minutes is I want to show you how practical the Bible is. Uh, One of three things can happen during my little section. One is you're going to hear something and go, wow, that's new information. And if you do, that's great. That's awesome. Second thing that could happen is you hear something, you go, I know that, but the Holy Spirit could use it in a way to say, yeah, but I want to draw your attention to something that you already know and maybe help you move forward in that. And the third thing, which is what happens to me when I study this in particular, uh, is that to see that a book that is thousands of years old, written over the course of thousands of years in, hundred, in many, many different cultures, way far away from our culture, has such practical advice for something like investing. 
it blows me away to see what God says about something as practical as savings or investing, and it honestly builds my faith. If God can speak to that in my life, think of the things that he is speaking to. So let me give you, give you a couple things. He said we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, a couple of Proverbs when it comes to investing. One, uh, first principle, don't try to get rich quick. Don't try, as, you, as you move into investing, don't try to get rich quick. Proverbs 13, 11 says, He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. He who gathers little by little makes it grow. If someone comes and offers you an opportunity that you would say, Man, that just seems too good to be true. It probably is. All right? Most of us are going to gather that money little by little. Doesn't mean that there shouldn't be some, uh, if you understand, you know, some syndicated real estate deal and your target is, hey, I'm going to go for 20% or 25%. Or if you're somebody that's an angel investor in venture capital and you say, I see a tech startup and I was involved in something like that and I saw amazing things from it. You might be thinking 3X and 10X and those kind of multiples. I'm not saying that those things don't happen. I'm saying, but if you move into that zone, man, you better know what you're talking about. Because as the return increases, or as the potential for return increases, so does the risk. So be very careful to do what the Bible says. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Uh, Second principle, don't put all your eggs in one basket. (laughs) Ecclesiastes, Solomon, same author, writes this in Ecclesiastes 11.2. He says, give portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come on the land. Do you know what that speaks to? The principle of diversification. And it blows me away that the Old Testament of the Bible is speaking to a financial principle called diversification. This idea that I want to spread out my investments so that I can take, uh, take advantage of the market in many, many different areas. If you go to a mutual fund advisor, what they're going to tell you to do is, hey, you need to be in some stocks and you need to be in some bonds. You need to be in some large cap and some small cap. You need to be in international and commodities. You need to, to spread all of that out. A mutual fund. Different ways that you can diversify your investing. Number three, don't invest in things you don't understand. (laughs) Proverbs 24 says, By wisdom is a house built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. You want to increase your savings, you better make sure you're investing in things you understand. I don't understand puts and calls and options and things that people have tried to explain to me, but I don't understand it, so I don't get involved in options trading. Some of you are looking at the world of buying, uh, you know, blockchain and uh, real estate in the metaverse. Some of, you, some of you are looking like, I have no clue what he's talking about. Others of you are, I mean, you know, I've heard of this stuff, uh, NFTs and things like that. You know what, here's the deal. There might be some opportunity in those things, but I don't know. And that's the point. Like, I have no clue, and therefore, since I don't understand it, I'm not going to get involved with it. And then count the cost. Luke 14, 28 says this, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I'm looking at my future, and now I'm thinking to myself, what is the cost of buying this item? 
You say, well, that's simple. Just look at the price tag. No, it's not so simple. Um, if I think about a car, let's take a $20,000 car. You say, well, that's the cost. Well, maybe not. Because for some people, you'd say, well, how much does that cost? They're going to tell you, well, it's $400 a month. That's the cost. Well, that's one way to look at it. But if you're only doing $400 a month at three and a half or whatever your interest rate is, you're going to end up paying not $20,000 for that car. If you go through the 60 months or whatever it's going to be, it's going to end up costing you $23,000, $24,000 for that car. And as I'm looking at my financial picture for the long term, I'm counting the cost, not just the monthly payment, but I'm looking at the total cost. I'm looking at the, the total cost of that car. Not to mention, come on, let's get, let's get sophisticated about this, not to mention the opportunity cost of buying that item. You're going to think I'm crazy, but this is the way I'm thinking about my future. And I would encourage you maybe to do the same. I'm not looking at that car and thinking, okay, that's $20,000. That's what it's going to cost me. I start to think about uh, what if I had that kind of money in an investment? I'm 48 years old. If that goes on to 70, I could, at 10%, I could probably see that money double three times. So now that $20,000 in my mind, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I start looking at a $20,000 car, and I think that car is $160,000 to me. And it really shapes how I look at what I want to spend. You say, man, you sound really cheap. No, I'm just trying to be smart. Count the cost. And then finally, look at this. Invest justly. As you're doing your investments, Psalm 112 Five said, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Proverbs 16, 8, better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Proverbs twenty two sixteen: he who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. What does that speak to? I think it speaks to, I don't think God would be too excited about us investing in sweatshops or strip clubs, or things where we might walk away with a great return, but does not necessarily reflect the goodness, the righteousness, and the justice of God. In fact, we may begin to think about how do we invest our money in a way to see it not only get us a return, but to see a kingdom return in our investments. Here at Willow, we've taken some of our reserves, and we've said we want to put it not just in a bank earning X amount of interest, but we want to, we, we've actually taken some of our money, put it in a minority-owned bank, get the same interest, but now we're capitalizing that bank who is now capitalizing that local community. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. There are ways that you can invest that will have ripple effects or returns more than just money. Kingdom returns as well. And that gets to the last thing I would say, I would say to you is know your why. If you get involved in finances and investing, I, I would encourage you. Why are you doing it? There's a great Bible verse, uh, Proverbs 13, 22, that says a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Not just my kids, but my grandkids. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So your why, a very decent why, a good why, a biblical why, is to say, well, I want to pass on something to my kids. Another good why, I think, would be to say, you know what, I want some freedom. I want some security in my future. And ultimately, my security and my freedom is in God. But God is the one who's given me some of these principles. And so I'm going to think to myself, how do I move toward that kind of freedom and security in the future? Following God's principles. And then maybe to even say, you know what, not only do I have, my, part of my why is not just to have freedom or security or pass on something to my kids. But you know what, 
What if part of my why is I want to bless people? I'd love to be in the position over the course of my life to have built up something that I could bless people. And maybe my money would live on beyond me. That I would say, hey, you know what? I, I, I can take some of what I have left over and I can give it away and to see kingdom impact. I don't know what your why might be, but I encourage you to try and find a why. Give first. It honors God. Save second. It's a way to plan for your future. And then live on the rest. Miguel? Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, so, so, you know, know your why. It's so good because so much of what we strive for in life is just more. We just want more stuff, more things, more, more, more. More upgrades, right? And we think it's going to make us happy, but you know it doesn't. See, but the secret is not found in more. The secret is wrapped up in this one word, contentment. Contentment. Contentment and living on the rest, it teaches us contentment. And I know what you're thinking. Contentment, the American dream. Mm. Yeah, come on now. It doesn't really sound very appealing, right? You're like, contentment. Oh, wow. I don't know about that one, right? But this is the key and the secret to financial freedom. But the world tells us something, something else. See, there's never been a commercial that has fueled our contentment. In fact, every marketing strategy focuses on our discontentment. And today there's actually algorithms out there that know exactly how to push your discontent button. It's kind of scary. And so we're there, and, and, and what marketing does, what the world screams at us, what we're watching on TV, online, all that stuff, it, it reminds us that your life is not what it, what it could be. Oh. So what do we do? So, so we go, okay, I got, I got to buy this now. Call now. One click, and it's yours. Oh. Right? It, and I know, that, I know that feeling. I have fallen into that feeling before I get this. You know what's amazing? Everyone over the age of, you know, 35 or 40 years old, does everyone remember, do you remember when you used to dream about the salary that you now make? Do you remember that? I mean, that was the dream. That was the goal, right? I heard uh, someone recently just say this. I used to dream about the salary that I'm now starving on. Wow. See, contentment is a really big deal because it deals directly with your heart's intent. That's why it's the secret of financial freedom because when it comes to your financial freedom, it's not about making more but being content with less. Being content with less. So let me just get real practical again with you. Uh, My family and I, we don't have cable TV. Okay, we don't have cable TV. We, there, was a, there was a day long ago when I had a satellite TV and, and, and the NFL ticket and all that. And then it's like, for every kid I had, I lost channels. I don't know how, you know, some of your parents out there, your dad's like, oh, that's where it went. Yeah, okay. We live the antenna life and we'll do everything we can to scan for the right channels. We're like, we'll move the antenna here or there. And it's wonderful, right? I remember at the beginning of COVID, um, we just fell into the like, we have to sign up for every subscription. And so it's like Netflix, Hulu, well, Hulu has this, but Peacock, and then it was like, and there was like Apple TV. And then it was like, you know, just a subscription after subscription, because we were just indoors a lot. And 
And, and recently we just took it a look and we're like, why do we have so many? So we, so we cut back. Another thing you can do and, and uh, saving some money, hey, make your lunch. Don't pay for lunch. Right? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And I'm realizing maybe I should make my lunch instead of pay for my lunch. Hey, if you're going to go out to lunch or pay for your lunch, or maybe, uh, maybe you actually don't pay the delivery fee, go and pick it up and you'll save a gazillion dollars on the delivery fee, right? Uh, Our family, Goodwill and Walmart is a way of life, all right? Goodwill and Walmart, baby, it's a way of life. And that's all good. We're just like, let's see what Goodwill's got. Some of the best dates I've ever had with my wife that cost less than $30. And you're like, Miguel, you're cheap. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to be wise, trying to be smart. Because here's the thing. It's not about how expensive. Yeah, you're thinking, man, Valentine's is tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) You're thinking, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. That's what I'm talking about it. Okay. Um, So so some of those, those best dates, it had nothing to do with how expensive it was, but how intentional it was. Some of us think we have to, get, but my kids, I need to spend time with kids and I got to go on vacation to Puerto Vallarta. Okay. Okay. Real quick. I remember sitting in a, a timeshare pitch. Okay. Cause you get like free stuff. So I heard, oh, I'm going to get free dinner if I listen to this pitch for an hour. Okay. Okay. And the timeshare pitch. And it was fine. It was great. They pitched it. Awesome. You know, God bless you. But then I remember the, oh, one of the ladies pitching saying, uh, how many kids do you have? I'm like, I got five kids. And they're like, what's the point of having kids if you can't go to Puerto Vallarta? And I was like, oh, you lost me there, man. That. Because here's the thing, uh, just a walk to the park. Uh, j- just, hey, who wants to go to the grocery store with me? A-, a drive with your kids can actually make such impactful memories that cost very little. My wife and I, we own both of our vehicles. And we're going to drive it until it's dead. And then after it's dead, we might actually push it a little farther. My wife and I, we, uh, we, we own both of our phones. And it's glorious. <laughs> but like once a month, approximately, we will get a text message from our carrier that says, for, for a new upgrade, we will give you $700 if you upgrade today. But we just can't help ourselves. We love not having to pay a monthly payment. And it's wonderful. Living on the rest teaches contentment, but listen to this very, lean into this, but always wanting more, always wanting more does a few things. It brings fatigue. The more you have, the more energy it takes to maintain it. Always wanting more brings more expenses. If the grass is greener, so is your water bill. Okay. Always wanting more brings more anxiety. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Listen, I don't have to worry about getting the barnacles off my yacht. So I don't have a yacht. Always wanting more brings about relational conflict. The number one cause for divorce in America is arguments over money. So it's gone from death do us part to until debt do us part. So here's what I'm saying. God promises to provide for our needs, not our greeds. Please know the difference. God promises to provide for our needs, not our greeds. And living on the rest teaches contentment. And the secret to avoiding discontentment is gratitude. 
Living on the rest teaches contentment and enables us to be grateful. It positions us to be grateful for what we have. A long time ago, I was figuring out how to live on the rest and and really be grateful for what God has given me. And one of the things I had in my life at that time was a Gillette shaver. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to say thank you to S.C. Johnson and family providing this. At the time, they owned it, uh, Gillette Products. So I wrote a letter. Um, you know, Dear R.C. Johnson family, thank you for your product. It makes my face smooth, and it smells good. Period. The end, right? It was really simple. Well, like about a month later, I got this letter in the mail addressed to Mr. De La Mora. <laughs> it's pretty fancy. So I open it up, and in the letter, it says, thank you for your letter. We shared it with our entire staff. And then it says, please enjoy the enclosed $50 gift certificate for any future Gillette products. $50? So you know what I did next? I wrote BMW. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Here's the thing. Gratitude begins where my entitlement ends. Everything belongs to God. This is what we're talking about. Everything belongs to God. The way I say it is what you think you own is really just on loan. We came in with nothing, we're going to leave with nothing. What you think you own is really just on loan. But Miguel, that was my idea. Who gave you your brain? Even our very breath is borrowed. God owns it all. Living on the rest teaches contentment. Contentment is the secret to financial freedom, and being grateful is the practical step in how to get there. Why? Because gratitude turns whatever we have into enough. It turns whatever we have into enough. First Timothy 6, 3 through 6. Listen to this. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Listen to this last, this last line. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Everyone look this way. You can do this. We can do this. Your financial situation is not your identity. It is not who you are. It's just where you are. And no matter where you are in your financial situation, you can do it. We can always get back on the path. This week was rough. Last month was rough. I didn't account for this. I didn't. Just get back on the path. You can do this. But Miguel, you don't understand my financial situation. It is so, so hard and difficult. It's impossible. Listen, let me tell you a true story. This is a true story. There was a mother who raised five kids on her own. The dad wasn't around because he got caught selling drugs and went to prison when the kids were really, really little. Christmas was toys for tots. 
The only stable income this mother had was a monthly welfare check of $950. Rent was $825. Gas and lights was anywhere between $50 and $75. You're doing the math. You're already figuring this out. And then you still had to pay for gas and groceries, right? This mother and this family went through such difficult situations. This mother actually had to strategically plan where she would go when she ran errands. She would have to figure out the shortest route, and she, she couldn't afford missing something because she didn't have the gas to return if she forgot something at the store, at the grocery store. When, when, when gas was on E, what this family did was this mother would turn to her kids and say, all right, start praying. I don't know if we're going to make it home. So the kids actually turned into a game with these kids. The kids would start praying over the car. And as fun as it was for the kids, the mother was really believing for a miracle to just get home. Even buying the, the most simplest of groceries for this mother and this family, uh, like, like uh, some milk, was difficult. In fact, often this mother would use powdered milk as milk for the family. Or sometimes she would add it to the regular milk to, ex- to extend the life of, of the 2% milk that, that she was able to get. There were even times that she found that someone had a, a goat, you know, dairy farm and gave her some goat's milk. And to say that, listen, that this home life experience, to say that, that it was financially difficult would be an understatement. But this mom continued to trust in the Lord to give first, save second, live on the rest. And at, and at the time, financial freedom just didn't seem just hard. It seemed impossible. And anyone that would talk about financial freedom was offensive to this mom. But you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how difficult it is. I'm trying to survive today. But she budgeted. She kept her eyes on every penny. She saved what she could and found such creative ways to live on the rest. She realized that God owns it all. This is his. I'm just trying to be a steward and a manager of it all. And so she honored God and managed the few dollars that she had. And today she has financial freedom and margin. And and all five kids are alive and well. In fact, her son is standing before you, speaking with you today. To encourage you, we can do this. We can do this. Give first, save second, live on the rest. You can get out of debt. I can get out of debt. We can get on the path, the wisdom path that God wants for our life. This is the biblical path to give first, save second, and live on the rest. And it might take 10 steps to get there or 10,000 steps to get there. But the hardest step to take is always the first one. So what is your next step What do you need to do today? And there are so many stories of people here at Willow that have gone through this as well. So listen to the story of this couple here at Willow and the steps they took on their financial journey. 
Hi, we're Ryan and Chelsea Pribble, and we have been married for almost 12 years. About 10 years ago, Willow invited us to share our story on video. So for those of you that remember, uh, we're back. We had decided to start our marriage off in a very interesting way. Uh, we actually decided to charge on those little plastic cards in our wallet, um, all the expenses for our wedding. And we quickly found ourselves kind of catapulted into extreme debt. Being in debt has a lot of pain associated with it and uh, both in our marriage and then also feeling like you're, you're behind all the time. When we <laughs> were uh, newly married and under a lot of debt, it got real dark and it was hard to know that there was a way out. What we found in the process was that there is a beauty and a healing element to bringing that to your small group or to your closest friends. We journeyed through attending Financial Peace University early on in our marriage and God worked miraculously in that process. We were able to cut up about six credit cards and uh, pay off an insane amount of debt that we were under within that one calendar year. Two weeks after we finished paying off all of that debt is when we got the email about high schoolers going to retreats needing sponsorships. And I was like, we get to give. We're able to engage in the Willow Huntley building um, campaign. We were faced with this pile of debt to get out of. And ironically enough, that's ended up being about the same amount of money that we committed to the first year towards the new building. The idea of being able to give out of uh, a place where you're not constrained by debt, you're more open to those opportunities, I think. It's God impressing something on our hearts and us following through on a prompting. And then also the joy of going to Target together and, you know, shopping together and um, doing it together, it's a family thing. So getting out of debt is not just um, a tool to remove the pain of getting out of debt, but it opens up so much joy to be free to do so much more with your money. It might take some hard work and it might take a lot of tears. <laughs> it might take uh, digging in and giving it all you got, but there is a better way or a different way to go about it that has freedom on the other side.